As I was preparing this interview, I found reference to a 2007 study that concluded that men's testosterone had been declining roughly 1% per year for the previous 50 years. And if this trend continued into 2023, the average 22-year-old man today would have an average testosterone level roughly equal to that of a 67-year-old man in 2000, a dramatic drop uh, in T levels. And, you know, testosterone is a key ingredient in sperm production. And if it continues to drop at this rate by 2045, the median man will be unable to have children. I got to think that we do something about it by then. But this is an epidemic in many ways. And I'm excited to talk to our next guest who has an inspiring story of choosing not to go the way that maybe his environment or family could have led him to go. Ben Pakulski, hope I'm saying that right, Ben, reached the top of physical potential as one of the 10 IFBB professional bodybuilders in the world. And as an IFBB professional bodybuilder, he competed in 23 shows from 2008 to 2016. He finished top 10 in the prestigious Arnold Schwarzenegger Classics, Ohio, for six consecutive years, placing second in 2013. Ben reached the pinnacle of the bodybuilding world in 2012 and 2016, competing in the Mr. Olympia contest, and was considered one of the top 10 bodybuilders in the world for many years. He has now redirected that discipline and obsessive commitment toward his role as a dad, athlete, and CEO of his peak performance and longevity coaching business, Muscle Intelligence. Ben, welcome. Michael, thanks for the intro. It's an absolute honor, sir. Ben, I would love to hear what you're seeing on the first line, as it were, of this epidemic from the men that you interact with, the men that you train and coach, the men you see in the gym. What are you seeing that men are struggling with? And perhaps give us an antidote from a particular man or two. Well, first thing I'll say, man, is I grew up, as I said previously, in this family of obese alcoholics, and I wasn't around a lot of very strong masculine men. I was very blessed to have one strong masculine man. My grandfather, born and raised in France, came to Canada, in my case, and really represented this model for me of what, what a man should be, and, and he represented a man in a relationship. And then I go out into the world, and this is school, elementary school, high school, all the way up to college, and Nobody really represented that in the same way he did to me. So like he was my dad. He was the closest thing I had to a dad. My dad was absent. And me interacting with other men around, I just didn't, I didn't feel like they measured up for me, the other men socially. And so I didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. I was like, I feel like I'm different than all these people that I meet in school. And I feel like I'm different than people I'm meeting in high school. How did you feel you were different? I'll tell you one thing that I knew that was different about me was I thought I was a bad person. I had a lot of aggression. I had a lot of energy. I had a lot of passion. And I thought that made me a bad person. And no, nobody as a kid helped me navigate my, my big emotions. Well, so I had really big emotions. I'd get very fired up. I'd get very passionate. I'd get very sad. I'd get very afraid. I just had these really pronounced emotions. And so what that led to for me was to realize I was just different from everybody else. Like I figured everyone else didn't experience this. And I just thought like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I became very quiet. I became very introverted. And I just assumed that I was different than everybody else. And, and what I realized in growing up is that's my gift, man. My, my passion, my fire, my, my drive, my range of emotional intelligence is my gift. It's my ability to connect. It's my ability to understand people. 
but nobody explained that to me as a kid. And so I think men, certainly from a young age, boys are told to don't do that. You got to be a good boy. Control yourself. Behave yourself. And you lose the wide range of emotions. And what I think children need to learn, this is kind of tangent from what you asked, but what I think children need to learn and parents need to be able to curate or maybe facilitate is the idea of a a safe container for children to express all of their emotions and teaching kids that no emotion is wrong, no behavior is wrong, except contextually so. I don't want to stand up in in church and, and scream like a crazy person, but I certainly should be able to do that outside. So I think people should be discerning in how they allow their kids to act. I didn't learn that, man. I was just told like, hey, sh- sit down, shut up, don't talk, get inside this box. It actually made me really think I was a bad person. And I thought there was something really wrong with me when I was well, a kid. And so as soon as I realized that wasn't the case, and, and then everyone else around me was just muting themselves, I realized there was something wrong with them and not wrong with me. And I, I learned to, to curate this and make things contextually appropriate. Because when I finally had an outlet, in my case, it was first fighting and then it was the gym. And that was my outlet for my aggression, my passion, my drive. And I was like, Are you talking about fighting like boxing or mixed martial arts? Or Yeah, yeah. Muay Thai when I was a kid. So what I realized is that was my outlet that allowed me to truly express that range of emotions. And I had a drive that no one else around me had. And if I had not found that, I probably would have been either an alcoholic, a drug addict, or in jail, like a lot of people in my family. But society says, hey, man, stop expressing that drive. Stop expressing that passion. Just like sit down and shut up. Instead of giving men, young men, boys, a safe container to express it. Boys want to fight. I still want to be out. And I love the feel of getting punched in the head. It sounds ridiculous, but men crave a worthy adversary. Yeah. And when you tell a child that he can't do that, he starts to think there's something wrong with him or I'm bad or I shouldn't do that. And then you start losing those the perimeter, right? You start losing the edges of who you are and you just conform. And I think if we're going to start anywhere, start giving boys back the environment, start giving back the outdoors, start giving back the ability to, to just be free to express the craziness, express all the energy and all, all of the range of emotions to allow them to develop into people who ultimately can go into the world and do interesting things rather than just fitting into the box of literally the box of, of elementary schools. You mentioned the the urge to fight even now. My little brother, Jonathan, at our last family reunion, which was just after my mom passed last year, and some of my parents were not around, but all of us kids, we were all together for the first time in 10 years. And our kids all gathered in the garage. We took turns putting on the boxing gloves, <laughs> slugging each other. We were always very physical, and we grew up outdoors. I'm, I'm sure I'm some amount older than you. So many young Kids these days are over-mothered and live on the screens. The first video game I remember seeing is the is, is Pong, the one where you just move the things up and down. Why stay in playing something like that or even you know Space Invaders, whatever those earlier video games were, when there was like the wilderness outside and I grew up riding dirt bikes and all that. I didn't feel welcome to express my anger necessarily. But uh, yeah, I can really relate to what you're talking about. I want to get back to your story, but if you can tell me, what are you seeing men struggling with in the gym, men struggling with your clients like right now? Passion. The, the, absence, the absence of anything, really. It's almost like men have lost their flame. Men have lost their masculinity. Men have lost their, their passion. Men have lost their direction, their clarity, their flame. And so one of the things that I encourage guys to do is like when you come, so we have camps at my gym, it's a private gym, 10,000 square feet, nobody else in there. 
And and often you'll hear me say something like, hey, Mike, I want you to scream. But I want you to scream like a fucking man. And, 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 people, uh, and I was like, yeah, well, you're, you're like, let it out, man. Like, what is it going to look like if there's a bear coming to chase? He's going to fucking lay down or are you going to like fight this thing? Mm. And it, and so when we're lifting, we're giving men a safe container from which to just explore the primal nature. Like, yell from your balls, right? Yell from your balls, not from your purse. And so- it's that enough, but- not from your purse. <laughs> like toxic, but the reality was I only did that men need to explore the range of emotions in order for them to realize that it's okay. It's okay to be passionate. It's not okay to be angry contextually inappropriately, right? Like great to be angry in the gym. Great to be angry if I'm in a boxing match or, or whatever, but yeah. like you have to learn the word discernment. Michael, like yeah. as, as a child, the first thing people should be taught is like, Nothing is right and wrong. Words are not bad. It's contextually appropriate. You don't use certain words in certain contexts. But if it's with yourself or your friends, or like, great. Like certain words, if you look at some of the words they use in Australia, you'd be like, oh, you wouldn't use that word in America. Everything's just contextually appropriate. And I, I try to teach my kids discernment. And I try to teach men discernment. Like we've just been taught to just become these like soft, feeble, conforming creatures and uh, it's just sad to me, man. Like, I, I want to give men back the permission to explore who they are. And I, one thing that I often talk about is men, most people you ask is every day that goes by, most people think they're moving one day closer to death. And I said, what if you are moving one day closer to knowing who you actually are? That's how I feel like my life is, is like every day that passes, I know myself better. So what if it's moving closer to a true awakening? And awakening is like discovering who I am. That's what life should be. It's this adventurous pursuit of rediscovering who I am. I think I was born that way, but in the first 30 years of my life or 25 years of my life, society put these bullshit expectations on me that was like, hey, you got to be this way and you got to want these things and you got to be like these people. Now I'm like, oh, I'm awakening to this reality that none of that's true and all society is bullshit. And I just need to find out who I am so I can live in alignment with my soul. There's so many ways today that... uh men and our nature are being shamed sitting with your legs too far apart is manspreading explaining something to a woman is mansplaining and like never heard that stuff. <laughs> yeah the full-on war the culture war and the war between the sexes and feminism and its reaction there there's so many men afraid to even for example approach a woman nowadays because some not insignificant number of women would view that as assault. I literally had two Canadian girls in 2014 that I met in Kenya, and I didn't approach them, but they told me that uh, a man approaching them is sexual assault, and that me even beginning to talk, to say something back about that or have an argument about that is basically being perpetuating rape culture. So basically, I'm a rapist. <laughs> Daring to even speak up about a, con a counter opinion to that. So there's so many ways that men are basically being put in check and uh, the labels are ones that you would ostracize them for. Oh, you're sexist, you're, you're this, you're that. If you even have an opinion that's different. So it's a very strange world that uh, a lot of young men are growing up in. What's the normal age group of the men that you're working with? And can you tell us more about what they're struggling with, in addition to, you talked about like not having a connection to their primal voice or or their anger or their kind of that raw expression. What else do you see they're struggling with? Guys, we work with all over 40. So our community is all men over 40, all the way up to 70. We've got some guys in the early 70s. 
so I always talk about the objective and the subjective, right? So objectively, we're struggling with body fat, we're struggling with low testosterone, we're struggling with lack of libido, a lack of mental clarity, energy, all the, all the really kind of big basics, absence of muscle. That's the physical capability. Like if, if you break it down, just the absence of physical capability, the absence of metabolic capability and, and metabolic capability is simply the ability to produce energy. The metabolism is just taking energy from your body or from food and producing energy. So those are probably the two big uh, problems that we solve for men is physical and metabolic capability. And, and the reason that we're, we're starting with men over 40 and not teenager boys is because mo- most men over 40, certainly in our community, have children. And I think if we give men back their own uh, direction, just like guidance, man, there's no operating manual for how to use your body, how to understand your body, how to regain your testosterone, how to regain your confidence. Kind of a tagline of our community is confidence and character come through challenge and commitment. And I think if you think of confidence and character being the two desirable end states for men, well, I want to be confident mm-hmm. in myself and I want people to admire my character from the outside. We want respect from the outside and respect from the inside. Mm-hmm. And those come through challenge and commitment. And that's so our, our big focus in our community is challenging men and challenging who you think you are and working outside those boxes, where those walls we create in our mind and ultimately developing or ultimately following through with your commitment. And I think Commitment is a really hard thing in our culture because uh, it's so easy to instantly gratify yourself and yeah. being committed to a long-term goal for guys requires discipline. It requires what masculine traits are being challenged right now. So commitment is to a relationship. Commitment is to your physical self. Commitment to your financial self. Uh, most people are just more worried about instant gratification and feeling good in the moment rather than moving towards something worth having. You talk about having this gym, and when you talk about it, it sounds more like a martial arts school in a way, like you're really about developing the character of the man, and you you have a kind of like a, a brotherhood and this sort of thing. And as I'm doing this summit, I'm talking to a lot of men who are creating new ways forward for men, new pathways forward that include uh, brotherhood, that include men coming together to support each other in, in ways that were uncommon when I was growing up. Yeah. I'd love to hear more, yeah, about your gym and what you guys do. So to be honest, the gym was never started to be anything more than just my little playground. So when I was a professional bodybuilder, I was like, hey man, I got having kids and the gym I was training, I was just crazy busy. So I just created this amazing little playground and just turned into something more than that. It turned into a hub for us to hold training camps. And now, so what started us off as a business that was really teaching people how to build muscle for me in 2012, because I was one of the best in the world. And I did it in a very different way, did it in a more educated way. It would just start off as like, hey, people want to build muscle. Let's teach them how to do it because they're doing it wrong, right? And then what I realized that that led to specifically for me, and this coming kind of coming backwards in my story. So I grew up as a self-identifying lazy kid. I was obese. I had a speech impediment, a learning disability. And everyone was saying, hey, this guy's not going to amount to anything. And what training did for me was it allowed me to explore myself. It allowed me to move toward my fears. It allowed me to overcome my laziness or my believed supposed laziness. And so I think training is a beautiful daily battleground. Like where else in life today are you going to explore challenge? Are you going to constantly move toward your fears, your inadequacies, your desire to be lazy in a safe container, right? Like I can go do this and move toward these things. And if you're intentional and conscious about it, you can really make a lot of progress. So what I realized certainly as I retired from professional bodybuilding was my muscle building career was not about muscle. It's about the person I became in the process. It was like, I set this miraculously high goal that everyone else in my life was like, you're crazy. You're never going to get there. You don't have the genetics. You don't have the ability. You're lazy. And I did it. And I was like, oh, 
I could do this. And and I realized as I stepped on stage in 2012 at the Mr. Olympia, which I thought would be my life dream come true, and it was amazing. But I realized it didn't change who I was. It's just like making money, man. I'm sure once you make your first million dollars, like, oh, that's it. That doesn't change how I feel about myself. That doesn't change my confidence. It doesn't change anything. But the person I become in the process, the work that I put in, the discipline that, that I develop along the way, that's what changes who I am. And I think guys think muscle, I want to put on 30 pounds of muscle. I'm like, okay, that's not what you want. What you want is the discipline in the process. And if we can give guys the the process to follow, all of a sudden they realize along the way the process is the goal. I'd love to hear more of your journey from when, just pick us up from where you left off. And did you find maybe the mentor that you didn't have from your father as you got into? I think I collected mentors, to be honest. I never had one, but I think I collected, and here's a funny story, how I realized this. My daughter was born in 2013, in 2017, or maybe 18, she was five. And we bought a book and we were going to do this book together. And it was a father and daughter's book of connection. And so on the left side of the page, she answers a question. On the right side of the page, I answer the same question. And so the first question in the book was, who are your best friends and why do you love them? And so I had eight people on that page. My daughter had four. And so the eight people on that page, I wrote down their name and why I love them, their name and why I love them. And what it became for me was this perfect wheel of the, of the perfect version of me. And each person brought something unique mm. and amazing to my life. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've never realized that subconsciously I'm collecting mentors and collecting role models and people that just like enrich my life in a specific area. I didn't do it on purpose. It's just like, wow, all of those things are the things I value massively. Like this guy's got an amazing relationship and this guy's got amazing discipline and this guy's got an you know amazing financial life. It's interesting. And there was some overlap and a lot of guys had multiple areas, but the specific reason was what I loved about this person is how they inspired me to be, right? A way of being. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I was trying to take information. It was just like, oh, I, I really respect them in that way or most in this way. That was interesting. So no, I didn't have one specific mentor along the way. And same in bodybuilding, that there wasn't one person who was like, this person really did it all for me. It was like, this person was kind of good in that. This person was kind of good in that. When I started at 18 years old or maybe 17, I was looking for that one person and I realized it didn't exist. And so I was like, well, my job is now to create it. Be that one person who people can go to for the training advice, for the nutrition advice, for the mindset advice, for the supplementation advice, ultimately how to be a good person. Because what I realized is, not everyone who, who, who is materially successful is always morally sound. But it doesn't mean that all people who are successful are not morally sound, but it also doesn't mean that people who are successful, you know what I mean? They're not usually uh, related. So I wanted to be successful and be a great person, be morally sound by my standards. So the answer is no, I didn't have one mentor. I call people angels. And, and, and the reason I call them angels is people come into your life for some duration of time and they impart you with some amazing wisdom and some amazing gift and sometimes some pain. But there's always a lesson behind it. And people come to your life sometimes for a day. There's one guy I just thought just came to mind right now. He came into my life for about a year. And all he had to say to me was negative. And all he had to say to me was how I wasn't going to do it, how I wasn't good enough. And I was like, I'm so fucking grateful for you, Roy. Every day, I'm like, I'm so grateful for you, Roy, because I remember getting on that bike and going, fuck you. <laughs> and, 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 and you could hold on to a grudge and go, fuck that guy. But I, now I'm yeah. like, no. What an angel. Like the guy provided me with so much uh, fuel. Yeah. It reminds me of, I was 19 or 20 years old. I stayed up all night reading Iron John by Robert Bly. You familiar with that book? No, no. And the sun was coming up. I was in Salt Lake City in the Valley and I was 
wanting to test myself. This is a book that many men read when they're kind of connecting to a deeper, connecting to the spirit of the father or the wild men, and they're wanting to really step into the next level. And so I decided I'm going to run up the mountains and claw my way up one of the snow-peaked mountains. And I did it, but the whole way, the whole 10-mile journey was literally me saying, and this is for the pain that so-and-so caused me. And I would just remember all the people in my past. And it was fuel to get up there. I'd love to hear more about your grandfather. You mentioned your French grandfather and that he was kind of this strong mentor idol. If you could tell us about him. And was he far away, like an ocean away in France or or was he in your life? I lived with him. I lived with him. Yeah, I lived with him from the time I was four till I was 14. And so the thing I could say about my grandfather was feared him and I knew I was loved unconditionally. So there's nothing I could do where I was afraid he wouldn't be on my team or he wouldn't be on my side. And so no matter what I did, I would always tell him the truth. So fear so fear and respect, you know, no matter what I did, I would tell him the truth because I one, to be honest, I was deathly afraid that if he ever got angry, I just didn't want to be in the way. But that level of respect, and again, not saying that's right or wrong, that's just our relationship. That was a really powerful thing to me. I think as a young man to know that you have someone on your side who loves you unconditionally. And I know not all men have that. And that was a gift for me. It was a really a gift for me to know that this really menacing man, if he ever came into my school, my principal would shit himself kind of thing. You know, like this guy's going to, you don't want to piss this guy off. I really value that, man. I really value the, the security that gave me to know that I was safe, to know that someone had my back. And no matter what I did, I could go and get in trouble with the law. I can go and be, be an idiot or I can get in a fight. And he's like, you're okay. You're with me. Let's go. And that was, man, I think maybe one of the most important things that I had as a child to put my heart at ease. I think as a child, we need to be safe. We need to be seen and we need to be loved, right? And I think mm-hmm. safety from a strong male figure is so important. And I teach my men now, I'm like, man, you need to be there for that child no matter what he does and not shaming him. Shame is maybe one of the most useless and worthless emotions. We'd never want to feel shame, mm-hmm. right? We never want to feel shame. And and so mm-hmm. the child needs to know that they're loved unconditionally and it doesn't matter what they do, how stupid it is. You can acknowledge it's a stupid decision, but you're not going to, it's not going to change how much I love you, you know? And I think- that maybe is what's allowed me to overcome an extremely chaotic childhood as far as my environment. To have that just unconditional love of my grandfather was was very powerful for me. Yeah, that's beautiful. Was he the sole caretaker, 4 to 14, or where'd you go after 14? I had my grandma as well. My parents were both working. They are doing their thing, just running around. I'll give my dad credit. My dad, it's not that he was completely absent. He, you know, he would come to some sporting events and stuff, but I didn't live with him. I lived with my grandparents and I don't want to like make my dad out to be like a bad person. He's a great guy, but just him and my mom didn't get along. He had a very explosive temper. wasn't ready for a young child. He, he's a young man mm-hmm. here. I mean, when he's twenty one, I wasn't ready for a child. Mm-hmm. After fourteen, I actually moved back in with my dad, and only, only because the school that was in his district had better sports, and I was very athletic, and I was like, I'm going to go and play sports at this better school. And I moved back in with my dad, and my dad and I became closer at that time, still not an amazing relationship, but I just uh, kind of moved in and took, I kind of had my own little apartment there. So at 14, I kind of was basically moving on on your own. I've traveled the last 14 years and I see in a lot of cultures that the parents go out and work and it's the grandparents taking care of the kids. And in a lot of ways, it seems like such a much better situation because the grandparents, they're not as attached to what you do. It's not a, a reflection on them. They have more patience, they have more time. 
you know, and, uh, in, and in the modern Western world, it's just the nuclear family, often both parents working, both stressed, and that's a more challenging situation. It sounds like you also are like mentoring men and being fathers. It's kind of a side project, kind of a, it just happens by accident kind of thing. But I think it's something maybe that I'm most passionate about because I had so much pain around the absence of my father. I think it's definitely become one of my primary missions in life is to just reconcile the family unit, man. What does it look like to create a family that allows kids to be safe, seen, and loved, right? Those are the three three kind of words that I like to remind people of. Kids want to be know they're not going to be abandoned. They want to be seen like, hey, your opinion matters or what you want matters. And they need to know they love and unconditionally. You give a kid that, they're good for everything else, man. They'll be well-behaved. They'll listen to what you say. For the most part, obviously, you got to provide the bare necessities too. But I mean, I think we sometimes as young adults complicate parenting. It's not complex, man. And certainly, it fucking definitely gets complex as they get older. My kids are now 11 or 10 and 11, and it's definitely starting to get more complex. But I think in the first couple of years, it's just like, I just love these little humans, right? That's it. Yes, they're going to be challenging and yes, they're going to have an emotional happening. But I always say like, how many adults do you know that can control their emotions? How many yeah. adults you know can, can explain their emotions? Like, why are you acting this way? I'm like, they're fucking children. They don't know why they're acting that way. They're emotional beings. Like, just yeah. love them, man. Yeah, like most adults have no idea why they act that way. So your, your daughter's 11, your son's 10? Opposite, actually. Son's 11. Opposite. And what are you seeing that boys are struggling with today and also men as as fathers? I think confusion in the boys. So it's interesting. My son was like this incredible little alpha dude until he was about eight. He wasn't really in school before that. And then after that, he started to hang around these other boys who were, I don't want to put anybody down, but you could just see that they were, they were raised with really poor diets and probably not very athletic or not very movement oriented. And just kind of just become soft, play video games, eat a bunch of junk food. And his entire demeanor shifted over the span of three years from this kind of like aggressive, assertive alpha kid to this little docile, like video game playing kid. His body composition kind of went to shit. He was probably walking around 8% until the time he was eight. Now he's probably 20 or 18 or something. And I refuse to be the dad who's constantly shitting on him for not doing what he wants. to. Do. He's not living my life, right? He's living his life. So I know, the only reason I know that is because I did that. I have to let him be his own person. I have to let him navigate the challenges. And you know, I was a fat little kid until I was 14 and I didn't understand. I lived on Doritos and Pepsi and, and Jolly Ranchers and I didn't have any rules. So I did what I did. And so I allow him to navigate life to what he wants to navigate. I, I want him to realize that, hey, you're becoming a young man and you make your decisions. What do you want to eat? What time do you want to go to bed? But you got responsibilities. You got to take care of responsibilities. But you want to make the decisions around that. That's fine with me. And so it's interesting to navigate that. So I think while he's struggling a little bit right now, I think those struggles are going to develop his character. I know for me, from the time I was probably seven or eight till the time I was fourteen, it was just one big blur of struggle and fear because I didn't have any direction. Picture me in the big city of Toronto, taking the subway and the bus by myself at the seven, eight years old. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I just shit out afraid of my own shadow. But I think that's what allowed me to realize that I'm a strong person. Like I can figure this out myself. I don't need my dad. I don't need my mom. I had the ability to figure shit out by myself. I'm going to get myself into hard situations, but I'm going to figure it out. And I always knew that I had somebody there who loved me unconditionally if I did something stupid. And he knows he's got that as well. Trying to keep them out of uh, dangerous situations, but allow them to navigate potentially uh, scary ones. I'm about to have my first child next month and just the proliferation of social media 
and all the garbage and how it's everything's designed to make you addicted and to basically take away your will and your dependent mind. How do you navigate that and suggest navigating that? So first in my community, the first thing I say to guys is no porn, no social media, no sugar, no alcohol, no drugs. Try that, right? Start there. Here you got five things. If you do that, your life will change, right? And, and why? Because you're changing your dopamine channels. You're changing gratification. So you say oh, guys are not pursuing women anymore. It's because they don't need to. Like they can turn on the computer and gratify themselves in under five minutes. Why would I go through the time and effort to pursue a woman? And, and I get the potential risks and downside of, oh man, she could say no, she could say I'm a bad person, but you need to put yourself out there. And also I think it would make guys like pay attention to the way they look a little bit more, pay attention to the way they dress, maybe try to make a little more money, be a little more motivated because you have to be or you're not going to get laid. It's such an important part of a masculine energy, but you're like, oh, I don't need to do that. I can just go rub one out for three minutes by myself. And you're like, well, that's first thing. Stop there, right? Right? Stop that. Um, no social media because like, why don't I just go out and meet somebody? Or why don't I just go out and like introduce myself to somebody or go out and do something other than sit behind a computer? And obviously no sugar, no alcohol, no drugs because it's just an escape. And I think the reason they're making drugs legal everywhere in the world right now, people are like, oh, they're giving us some freedom. I'm like, no, they're fucking not. Idiots. They're trying to allow you to, to, to mute your brain so you don't pursue anything, right? It's not freedom they're giving you. They're giving you more control because now you're, you're just happy that they've given you the ability to smoke weed or do drugs. And it's because it's you're escaping reality. So just put that stuff away. Don't do it. And actually set a goal for yourself that's worthwhile. And if you don't know what the goal is, it's okay. But if you remove all these basic hedonistic pleasures of instant gratification, then the goal will make itself apparent because you'll have to make money. You'll have to meet women. You'll have to meet friends. And you'll start creating amazing communities of people who are actually driven by a moral compass because you've got meeting guys who have the same morals as you. Oh, now I've got an amazing community and my network becomes great. And just by eliminating those five simple things, shit just starts to change. As you were talking, I was thinking back to those two Canadian girls that talked about approaching as a sexual assault. And I thought, wow. And they were young. And if they're only growing up in the age of dating apps, maybe they don't ever get approached except by the really aggressive males or something. Well, I could understand it. Yeah, dude, I get it. It's probably the crazies. It's probably the guys who are drunk. It's probably the guys who are belligerent rather than the guys who are gentlemen. We just like, hey, go out and do this. Maybe the gentlemen have just stopped approaching women. Fear, right? Yeah. 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 And the rape be accused of something. This is a huge tangent, but the rape laws, certainly in Canada, are absurd. And I get it, but a woman doesn't even have to have proof. She just has to say, he raped me, and a man goes to jail. Even if a wife says, there was one night 10 years ago when I didn't want to have sex, my husband forced himself on me, that guy goes to jail. That's fucked. There's got to yeah. be some form of like proof because it doesn't have to be proof. That guy just goes to jail. To me, that's just a proof that our system is broken. But obviously, rape is inexcusable, unforgivable. If someone rapes a woman, you should go to jail. But like the fact that a woman could just say it and yeah. it happened 10 years ago, like if it happens, there should be like some law around like, hey, you got to go tell somebody now. And I, man, I think rape is the most unexcusable crime on the planet. It's taboo to even talk about it. Men are even scared to talk about it. And because it sounds like you're defending that, defending rape or something like that. And in university as well, in the States, there's no such thing as due process anymore. So I imagine it's got to be having like a, just a chilling effect on men of like, and there's a lot choosing to 
uh, MGTOW or men go their own ways, a rising movement, men just saying I'm done with women. Oh, guys that are recording. So if they go on a date with a girl, they'll just leave their phone on recording the whole time. So they, they can just hear yeah. the whole conversation. So they're covering their ass. They put it on a hard drive and the shiver comes back and just save it. I'm like, that's just fucked up, man. I mean, someone's recording it anyways, but recording it yourself, you're just like, that just feels like such a violation of everything that's sacred. But I understand why they do it, especially the guys I hang out with are either wealthy or people of significance. And like, you got to cover your ass, man. Yeah, it's a really sad state of affairs. And if there's any women listening, I, I, I feel sorry for the women, right? On every level, they have they don't have the ability to have a masculine man in their life. Men don't have the ability to be masculine because it's all being pushed back in. So which is why I was so grateful to, to have this call with you and what you're doing. I think it's we got to bring awareness to it, man. I hope, I hope every person in the world gets to see this and hear the message. And uh, man, just like I want women to be women and men to be men, and, and we could talk about the endocrinological effects, like the actual hormonal reasons why these are happening. but And then you talk about political stuff as well, but the depth is, it's deep. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the endocrinology. So again, I'm not going to pull stats, but one of the interesting things that often get the guy's attention is the level of endocrine disruptors, that cytokine disruptors are these things that cause the endocrine system. So the endocrine system creates hormones, that cause the endocrine, the endocrine system to not work as effectively. They're typically estrogens, xenoestrogens that exist in the environment, things like BPA and phthalates and pesticides. And they're just so ubiquitous, they're just everywhere that every human has them in their system, whether it be from your drinking water, your food, even the air you breathe. And they've proven that in utero, the amount in kind of the amniotic fluid in a mom can massively determine everything to do with called sexual expression of the genes effectively. So we see this demasculinization of men. There's proof that it's absolutely from these endocrine disruptors existing in the uterus of moms and uterus of women, everything from plastics to pesticides and phthalates, et cetera. Perfumes, makeups, women are like, oh, I put makeup and perfume on when I'm a kid and my son's going to be born with a penis that's three inches shorter than it should have been. But they don't know that. There's data on that. You can look. It's not three inches. I'm really? There's certainly an effect. They've actually proven that actual length of the penis decreases in men when their mom is in any way consuming or her levels of these pests, these endocrine disruptors are elevated. So the men are becoming less manly. And there's a specific stage in the developmental process in utero where it's a differentiation process where the boy becomes a boy or the girl becomes a girl. And if those xenoestrogens are, are very high in that stage, this is, I think, where we start getting these very unusual gender blurring, gender dysmorphia situations happening in utero. So it's not the, per- the fault of the person born. It's not like they're choosing to be this way. And there's something wrong with our environment that's sending people down these paths. I think if anyone talks about it, there'll probably some some big outroars. But the reality is this is proved. This is all verified stuff. It's not like we're making it up. It's, this is proven in science. I'm not an expert in it, but there's definitely data on, on endocrine disruptors affecting the, the gender uh, differentiation uh, process in utero. Yeah, that's scary. Well, I'm having a baby girl, so I don't know if that was because of the environmental factors or what, but yeah, it, it's a scary thought. And I'm in Africa, but slowly the whole world is becoming more and more like America. So what are the other causes of this drop in testosterone and virility yeah. and sperm levels and all of this, and, and what can men do about it? Well, I always think of life in terms of trajectory. So we start off life with a downward trajectory of testosterone or even a horizontal trajectory 
that's not ideal, right? As a young man, as a young boy, the trajectory of testosterone production and t- testosterone in the body should be up. It should be up all the way to probably your 25. It should be an upward slope. And then there's all these things that, that kind of we in, we interact with and the trajectory changes. The trajectory goes down or it goes horizontal at the very least, and maybe it just stops going up as much. And so if we start with this downward trajectory, or at least it's horizontal trajectory already, well, that already showed up in a bad way. And then we start getting into, well, when the child is born, they don't do breast milk and now they're doing formula. And now we're adding in these soy-based compounds and vegetable oils that are shown to increase estrogen. And then they start consuming these chemical foods, and those things are full of vegetable oils and pesticides and other chemicals that are additionally going to add estrogen out to the body. And then often when humans maybe evolved, there should be things once they can start consuming food that allow them to actually use the jaw muscles. There's a correlation between the use of the jaw muscles and actually the production of testosterone. You'll see people with these big square jaws, like big thick jaws. Well, the human's meant to have like the ability to chew on a food, like give a child a bone or a piece of meat and they're going to chew on it. And that actual action has been correlated with an increased testosterone. But if all foods are mush or all foods are easy to consume, hyperpalatable foods, kids are getting these high amounts of calories, they're getting these huge, huge amounts of dopamine in their brain without having to pursue anything. They don't have to actually work for it. Even just the act of working for that food can increase it. So we know when dopamine goes up, testosterone also goes up. So the act of I'm working for that food, I'm pursuing something, dopamine goes up. Mm-hmm. So it starts there. So we're looking at food and then we're looking at, well, their environment is, is curated in a way that doesn't need them to move. I don't need to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. the literal forward ambulation also correlated with the sinking in the left or right hemisphere of the brain and increases in dopamine, right? So we're dopamine creatures. Dopamine is the molecule of pursuit to the molecule of more. So when I'm moving towards something, the brain thinks I'm moving towards something that I'm trying to pursue and I get more dopamine. Even if I'm just walking, you think evolutionarily, humans were tribal, we would move and we're moving towards somewhere new and we get this reward because we found the place that was new or accomplished something. We made our home or we found an animal and this constantly like pursuit, reward, pursuit, reward, that increases testosterone, that increases sexual drive. And so all that's gone. And so there's no more need to be testosterone-driven animals. We're just these ultimately estrogen-driven animals. So you think of women, women might take testosterone away, but women are meant to receive, men are meant to pursue. And so women sit around and, and they wait for the men to come back. And so that's kind of what our culture has become. We've become, even men are, be, I'm going to wait for my food to come because I've ordered it on, on the delivery app and I'm going to wait for it to show up in my house. And so it's a receiving rather than a pursuing. And then men lose the psychological ability to pursue anything it's from a very young age. And then I sit around and play video games and my body composition starts to get worse. And then as the body composition starts to get worse, now your body converts all the testosterone you have into estrogen anyways because of uh, aromatase. So the higher your body fat gets, it actually becomes disproportionately increased the amount of testosterone you're increasing, you're converting into estrogen. So it just starts off with this trajectory that starts kind of on a low slope and then starts getting worse and worse and worse because of all of these environmental factors. And then you stack on top of that, they start adding alcohol in when they're young or they start consuming drugs or they start not getting sunshine. All these things are like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to move. I'm supposed to pursue things. I'm supposed to create things. I'm supposed to be in sunshine. I'm supposed to be connected to nature. I'm supposed to be working hard and they're all going away, right? So it's not one thing and it's all of it. And uh, so that I think that's why when you look at those stats that you're saying 1% since 1938, yeah, yeah, because prior to, to 1960, people were outside. A lot of people lived on farms. There certainly wasn't as much electricity and cars available. Certainly was some, but not the same level there is now. And so all of it goes away. And, and, I, and I get it. Even to own a house in this world is so hard. You have to just work all the time. I get it, man. I get it. And I, I don't know what the immediate solution is. I don't blame parents. I always say, guys, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And 
So we need to just realize that, yeah, I need to work a lot, or maybe I just need to be more effective. Yeah, I need to pursue things that are exceptional financially, but I also need to pursue things that are exceptional familially and uh, in fitness. Yeah, and even relationships, right? I mean, swiping on an app versus going out into the world and meeting people in real life. I'm sure that the ubiquitous porn, especially if it just keeps guys in their basement, has an effect as well. And these days, I interviewed a guy, interviewed a young man who was exposed to hardcore porn at nine years old. And from then on, and it's everywhere, right? It's on the smartphones, it's on the laptops. It's You know, you have to work for porn. When I was growing up, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I would go to a convenience store and steal porn magazines. I had to work and hunt just to see a naked woman. So, yeah, but that's not the same as like going to work and hunt and actually picking one up and, and like, you know, no, no, it's new work. But I mean, even just for the board, I had to work for it. No, you don't. So, what do you think of TRT? And you start working with guys 40 and up. They're already on that. They're already probably well into, I don't know if it's a natural decline or not, but. What do you recommend to them to, to get started? So first I'll say I'm not a physician. I'm not a doctor. I'm, I don't want to make recommendations. I think it, it's definitely a great option for a lot of people, and it's definitely not a great option for others. My suggestion for everybody is you start to get in shape first, right? The three top killers of testosterone, body fat, stress, and sleep. Fix them. Mm-hmm. Or one, movement. You got to move, man. You got to work hard. And, and not just, I'm not going to go for a walk from here to the convenience store. Like I got to actually do some work. Uh, and, and in the beginning, it doesn't have to be a lot, but it's got to be something. And it's got to be often. Um, and so fix those, right? Get your body fat down. Body fat's the biggest killer of health. It's the biggest killer of testosterone. Stress is a massive killer of, of testosterone for most people, but but not for the reason people think. So stress is not a bad thing, except when it's not coupled with movement. So the biggest gap in our society that people don't acknowledge is stress is a part of our reality. and It always has been. Except historically, any stress that you've ever encountered is always attached to movement. So what would stress be? It's like, I'm hungry. Go find food. Some animal's coming. Go hurt the animal. Something's coming to hurt me. I need to get away, right? There's always stress happens and there's a physical response. So the mind and the body are coupled. And people sometimes don't realize that human species has evolved to have these things coupled together. But now, where does stress come? Well, sitting on my ass in my car. I'm, I'm sitting in the kitchen talking to my partner. I'm having financial stress. All these little stressors are psychological and they're not coupled with physical movement. And that's where the gap probably becomes. Mm-hmm. So people have this huge amount of psychological burden and psychological chaos, and they don't have the mobilization of the body that's supposed to be coupled with it. So we have this metabolic disconnect between the brain saying, mobilize energy for movement. We got to get the fuck out of here. But now I'm sitting on my ass. So I have this huge amount of cortisol and the adrenaline elevated. And the body just goes, oh, well, that's not supposed to be there. I'm just going to start mobilizing energy. And that becomes resistant to the cortisol and adrenaline. We start getting fat. We start getting tired. We start getting sick because it suppresses our immune system. So you got to figure out, hey, man, I need to anchor movement in my life. It's not an option. I must do it. Every human must do it. It's not an option. It's non-negotiable. Get rid of something else in your life and move. If you just move for 10 minutes after a meal, every meal, your life will change. Start there, but you can't make movement option. It reminds me of I had a young friend in Mexico. This was during the pandemic, and he was about eighteen or nineteen. Lived with a single mother, and he was having a lot of anxiety. He was far away from his father. She didn't really know what to do. She was taking him to to get medications for his anxiety, 
And I asked him to just tell me what's going on. What happens when you start feeling anxious? He said, well, I'll be there watching TV and I'll have this idea that I should like get up and go find a job or do something for my life. And But I keep watching TV and then I get more anxious and it keeps coming back into my mind and I don't know what to do about it. You know, I chuckled because to me it was just so obvious. I think that uh, there was definitely a missing father role there. Because I think it's more obvious probably to the father, hey, young man, go, go out and do something. Go out and get the job. Go out and do something for your life. And there's an epidemic of fatherlessness. And as uh, Dr. Warren Farrell says, dad-deprived boys, which was maybe how you might describe your situation growing up. The problem is so big, it just feels almost unsolvable. And I'll also say one thing, Michael. I, I think many men, and maybe in our age demographic, will attach to their reality of like, oh, my dad was like that, and therefore I should be like that too. And listen, your dad uh, and my dad didn't have any idea about this. They didn't have any role model. They didn't have information. They didn't have the ability to read books or get on the internet and learn about shit or go on YouTube. We're the first generation ever to have access to ubiquitous information. And our children will be the, we're not even us, but our children will be the first generation ever to be born into every year of their life will have the internet from the day they're born. So that they're being subjected to a lot more manipulation, pornography, food manipulation than we ever did as children. Because like it was there for us, but it wasn't easy. And now it's like, well, you can't fault these children. They're the first ones being born into it. And that's why I say it's our responsibility as the relationship or the generation that precedes them to mentor them, to teach them. This is why men are waking up and have to wake up because if we don't, we're going to lose our children. And I don't just mean my children, I mean the children of the world. And they're the first generation, man. It's not their fault. They're being born in this world that there's billions and trillions of dollars being spent on their manipulation every fucking year. That's mm-hmm. great. And so us as men, we're like, hey, I know what it's supposed to be like. That's not it. I need to protect my little ones and my community or my tribe so they don't get exposed to all these people who ultimately, I don't even think these other people have bad intentions, but their intention is I just want you to buy my shit. I want you to consume my stuff so that you can spend all of your money, stay at home, and I'm going to make your life easy. Because humans want life to be easy. We all want life to be easy. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be stressed, right? So it's a natural human urge to, to have instant gratification, to have safety, to have security, to have you know, food. And and so they're preying on that. And it's no one's fault. Maybe someone has malicious intent, but not everyone. But I think we just need to make kids realize like those uh, primal urges are there as a gift. Those are great. The desire to instantly gratify yourself and eat, eat food, those are a gift. You got to have the discipline to overcome it and realize that you're being manipulated. And if the parent isn't controlling it or influencing it, someone else is. And so I think it's the first time in history we've faced something like this. We really need to navigate it for our children and men and women. Mm, Yes. There's a great father role there. It tends to be mothers who are more permissive and and nurturing and and fathers who are more drawn. There's a lot of messaging out there that you can't, if you're a man, you can't help but hear and notice that fathers are not needed. You hear a lot of women saying, I don't need a man. My children don't need a father. What do you have to say to the divorced or single fathers out there if you just could speak to them and are they needed? Oh man, are they needed more than ever and more than anything maybe. And I think that the bond between a boy and his mother is very important, but the bond or maybe the relationship between a boy and his dad I mean, both parents just have to be there if possible. And man, I get it. I get how hard relationships are, especially when 
the grass is greener over there. And it's so easy to, like, I don't need this person. I don't need to go through this hard time because I can easily just gratify myself or listen, man, I've been there. What do I say? Commit. I think the word is commit. And commitment may be the hardest thing and the hardest lesson we have to learn right now. And one of my coaches said to me, when you commit, that's your word and your word is your bond and your bond is, your word is the only thing you have. And and I said, yeah, I understand. And he said, well, what if your kids couldn't eat? Would you keep your word then? Yes. Yes, sir. And he's like, you need to realize that your word is the most important thing you have. And if it meant like, hey, if, if I break my bond, I'm going to lose my kids or I'm going to lose, my kids can't eat, you wouldn't break your bond. And, you, and so there needs to be some reconciliation of commitment to your word in our culture. I don't know how that's going to happen, but if we can solve one problem that I think may be the biggest one, it's that. It's bringing back integrity, or if, I don't know if it's ever existed, but it's bringing integrity, meaning I do what I say and I say what I do, or I say what I mean. I think that may be the biggest one, man. If you commit to a woman... One, think about it. Two, if you're going to commit, commit. And uh, man, I'll tell you, I'm not perfect at this. Far from it. I've failed at many relationships in my life. I didn't have the role model. And that's why I think I'm 42 years old. And I think I'm just figuring shit out now. And I hope that my pain and my suffering, my immense pain and suffering that I sometimes wear on my sleeve helps other people, man. Because if the, the next time that anyone commits... Just realize that your word is your bond, man. If we just had a culture of that men that committed to that and honored their woman and loved their woman and treated her like a queen and realized this, this is mine for life. I watch some old men in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, and they still hold their wife's hand. They still honor that woman, and they still love that woman. I'm like, fuck, this is what men are, man. Mm-hmm. And it's not men who are just like so quick to go, oh, I'm just going to go and go over here and gratify myself over there. Yeah, it's an interesting culture, man. I think that's probably the maybe the biggest lesson for us to learn. Yeah, the culture wars and spreading on social media mostly operates through shame, which is kind of an opposite dynamic. Shame and just cutting off or going away. If I come into a conflict with someone, I can just unfriend them. I can just separate, and that's freedom. And then shame anyone who doesn't agree with my opinion. What would it be to regenerate a culture of honor and commitment among men. I think it's a beautiful... Uh, yeah. Has it ever existed, right? I don't know. Has, has true integrity and commitment ever existed? I'm sure it's existed in certain segments of society, in certain relationships, in certain people, in certain families. And I would say those probably are the families that are one, most successful, two, most happy and fulfilled. They probably have the most well-rounded children. I think that maybe the least stress, maybe, maybe not, but at least in that way that allows a human system, a human family to thrive. And again, I, man, I get it from a man's perspective. He's like, why would I commit to this woman? Because I don't know if she's going to commit to me. And so it has to go both ways, right? It's And because you hear it all the time, like you got a rich guy who's succeeding life, all of a sudden he makes all his money and his wife goes, peace out, I'm leaving you for the pool boy. And so it has to go both ways. So I get the fear, man. I get the hesitation to commit to anything. You're like, fuck them, I don't need them. And you don't need them, but you're so much better with them, right? With sometimes challenge also comes joy, and with pain sometimes comes great happiness. Yeah, Ben, thank you. It's a beautiful story of turning what was your crisis into a calling, and uh, you're sharing that calling with other men to be the fathers that maybe you wish you had. And it's beautiful. Where can men find you online if they want to come work with you or yeah, learn from you? First thing I'll say is it's a work in progress, right? I'm a work in progress far from perfect. And the more I suffer, the more I learn. And sometimes you're looking back at your life, you're going, why did I create that suffering for myself? I'm such an idiot. But you never stop. You just never stop moving forward, one foot in front of the other. And there's always struggles. 
There's always doubt. There's always like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. It never ends, man. At least not yet. (laughs) Maybe one day it'll end. But it's always just realizing that it's there for a reason. It's there to bring a lesson to me and to you. And and hopefully men just have the strength to just put one foot in front of the next. Because I get, I don't understand everyone's problems. But one thing I will say is all of our problems are common, right? Problems are common. Your gifts are unique. Your challenges are common. So th- thank you for having this. Thank you for conducting this, man. I, I love what you're doing. I'm so grateful and, and, and honored to be a part of it. Men can find me at muscleintelligence.com. Muscle Intelligence Podcast is a good place. So I don't often talk about these things, if I'm being honest. I talk about more of the fitness-related stuff. But as you can hear in my voice, this is a, this is a passion point for me. Yeah. Uh, maybe one day I should change my direction a little bit and teach about this stuff. And we'll talk about this a little more. And if, if people want to work with me in the coaching community, uh, muscleintelligence.com would be a good place to check it out. Yeah, I've talked to some men doing the summit who are talking about fatherhood training and yeah, men need new roles, new roles to be of use in a beautiful way to their people because they're not needed as much anymore to provide and protect, but men are needed. So Ben, thank you so much. Thank you for your time and, and sharing your wisdom. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.